Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, November 19th. When you want an update on what's happening in your city, you go to the top. Mayor Jody Gondak joined the show this morning to discuss her meeting yesterday with the Municipal Affairs Minister, as well as giving us an update on the planned event centre and tax talks. The massive flooding and damage in B.C. can be tied to a devastating atmospheric river, according to experts. But what is this phenomenon, and could we see more of the same in the future? Dr. John Clegg is a Professor Emeritus of Earth Sciences at Simon Fraser University and joined the show to talk about all the factors contributing to this perfect storm. Every Friday, we update the state of affairs south of the border. Today, we talk to Global News Washington Bureau Chief Jackson Prosco about, among other things, the summit between the leaders of Canada, Mexico and the United States from the perspective of President Joe Biden. And on Fridays, we like to give you options. We check in with Brett McGarry, host of The Couch Potatoes, to find out what's new to watch on the big and little screen this weekend. Me, please. A little exorcist for you. We'll explain why in just a second, but it is 8-11 and every Friday we are joined by Calgary Mayor Jyoti Gondek to talk about all the latest news out of City Hall. Good morning to you, Mayor. Good morning, and I feel like saying, Susan, why you do this to me? <laughs> uh, we're talking as well, all morning long have been, about movies that traumatized us as a kid. Mine was Jaws. Clearly that one was yours. Oh, terrified me. I accidentally saw it on TV and have never forgotten it. I wonder if Linda Blair ever ate pea soup after filming that movie. I would bet not. I would bet not. The Exorcist still a scary one today. Uh, not so scary as to all the things that are going on in the city right now. We should chat about some of it. Uh, Tony's been talking in his news this morning about your, your urban municipalities meeting with Minister McIver. Uh, do you want to go over a little bit of that? And we'll talk about sort of, um, you know, the funding for police, for example. That was one of the topics that you, you discussed with him and, and sort of what came out of it. Absolutely. So there's a contract that gets signed between the city and the province to accept the grant money that the province sends to us for policing in our city. And I was disappointed to see that we have not yet had a replacement on the $13 million that was clawed back in 2019. So that was one of the items I spoke to Minister McIver about. Obviously, not his portfolio, but I asked him to please speak with his colleague and see what he could do to reinstate that funding, knowing how important community-based policing is in the city. So that was one Mm -hmm. topic. We also talked about more stable and predictable funding for the city through a charter. And finally, I asked him about uh, reconsidering his ability to remove Councillor Chu or trigger a by-election. And and the, the basis of that, Mayor, is because the information did not come out before people actually... We did hear about it on before voting day, but not before advance polls, right? That's right, Sue. And the difference you can see in uh, the voting pattern pre-information being released during the advance polls and the results after the information was released indicates that it was incredibly material to voters. And so, you know, we're we're looking for due process in light of this information coming very late for Ward 4. We do still get the odd text of saying, oh, just leave it alone and let it be. But do you hear from people in that ward who say, you know, they're not really happy that they didn't have that information before casting their ballot? We hear from people in the ward. We hear from people within our corporation. We hear from partners uh, who do business with the city. We hear from staff. We hear from everybody about how incredibly uncomfortable it makes them that a person used their position of authority to do something 
so terrible. So likely not the end of that discussion, then I'm sure we'll be talking about it again. Uh, this yeah. one was a big one yesterday, and I know Calgarians are, are, well, I guess a little bit polarized about it, but I think for the most part, we all agree the new arena, the new event centre, that whole thing could really be a, a way to revive our city and really kind of kickstart things once again. And the event centre was a pretty much approved yesterday, but not everyone on board. Well, it was an interesting process yesterday because it came to Calgary Planning Commission. So it was not a uh, monetary decision. Mm -hmm. It was not a contractual decision. And so I did not envy the members of Planning Commission who were first-timers. These are experts in their field. These are council members who are elected to do roles like this. But it is a very big file with a lot of history. So full kudos to members of commission for taking the time to learn about the decision that was before them yesterday and asking so many good questions. And yes, to answer your big question, it did get approved. Its development permit will be moving forward. However, there are about 70 prior to release conditions. And that just means that administration will be asking uh, a lot of questions as the development permit proceeds. There will be questions around Indigenous engagement, questions around design, questions around mobility for all users. So that's what was before us, and that's what got approved. And I guess we should make that clear that, you know, for example, the Beltline Community Association is not fully on board, but it seems like it's just uh, surrounding the design, right? They, they're they not against the event centre itself. It's about the things that need to be addressed before the building actually gets constructed. That's right. So the stakeholders that weighed in all understand that the deal has already been struck and there was a new version of that deal struck in July of this year. So they understand that the project is moving forward. Their concerns were around making sure that the public realm is something that's accessible and something that's beautiful that people can engage in. And I believe that the prior to release conditions really took those comments to heart and will deliver a good project. So can the designs be changed then? I mean, it, it, the centre itself has been approved. Is there still lots of time to sort of rejig those things? Things do evolve over time, and I think we need to understand that sometimes things you see in a rendering simply don't do justice to the final product. And, you know, a couple of the things that happened yesterday, there was talk of the ribbon, and the ribbon is really that um, electronic display that goes around the building. And there was some question around how it would activate the building and what it would look like. And although I'm not drawing a direct comparison here, but if you think about the Telus Sky Building downtown mm. that has the Douglas Copeland public art feature, there was a lot of questions around whether that's actually going to work. And it works beautifully. So I'm optimistic. Fantastic. Hey, I'm optimistic that you'll say yes when I ask you to hang on for a couple of minutes. Can you join us back for a couple more minutes of talk? I can. We are back with Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Thanks for hanging around, Mayor. Let's talk a little bit about uh, budgeting and the currently approved 2022 budget for your budget cycle means a tax rate increase of 0.5%. Do you think that's going to be able to be maintained? Well, I think it'll be a good discussion between members of council because there's many things that they heard at the doors while they were campaigning. There are service levels that some members of council wish to restore for things like uh, snow and ice removal for things like transit. So I think it's going to be a pretty fulsome discussion and we will see what the impact on taxpayers will be because there's a combination of revenue sources that could pay for any additions that are made. 
You know, and uh, as we look at that, the tax base, obviously we know those empty buildings in our downtown core are a big part of our problem here in the city. Any uh, kind of updates or anything going on in terms of rejigging some of those buildings? Anything you wanted to talk about on that? I know that was a big part of, you know, your platform when you were running for mayor is to, to really get those numbers built back up and get people back into the core. So anything going on there? It's a really good question, Sue, and I can tell you that the uh, incentive program that we launched earlier this year was fully subscribed very early on. So we had a lot of interest from people who wished to go about doing conversions of office space to residential. And I believe there will be a request to see if we can have a second round of incentive funding to do the same thing. Because once we start occupying those buildings in different ways, their assessed value will increase. All of the real estate analysts are telling us that. So that's why we have to stay the course on that plan. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, thank you so much for joining us. Happy Friday. Any big plans for the weekend? What does the new mayor do on the weekend? (laughs) You know what? I have quite a few events this weekend. It is good for the sick community. So I'll be dropping in to a few of the good There is a police dinner this evening recognizing Mm -hmm. youth. And there's just all kinds of wonderful things happening in our community. We live in a great city, don't we? It's an amazing city. Always great things going on, for sure. Thank you so much for joining us. And maybe, hey, since we've now brought it to your attention as we talk about movies that traumatized us as a kid, you can hang out with the family and watch The Exorcist this weekend. Oh, that's a great idea, Sue. Thanks. Okay, don't do that. I don't recommend it at all. I'm still traumatized by that one as well. Have a great weekend, Mayor. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. Take care. Mayor Mayor Jyoti Gondek. We've seen the devastating effects of what's being called the atmospheric river causing historic flooding and damage in British Columbia. But what is this atmospheric river and could it happen again? With more, we are joined this morning by Dr. John Clegg, Professor of Earth Sciences at Simon Fraser University. Good morning to you, Professor. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. It's my pleasure. Let's first define this atmospheric river. I'd never heard the term before, but quickly becoming part of the lexicon and vocabulary, isn't it? Yeah, it's actually what I would call a metaphor for a river on land, although it is a river in the atmosphere. Um, And it is a term that's used by meteorologists. It's not just a term that was coined by, you know, the public. And what it is is a band of um, moisture-laden air, a very long, narrow band. By narrow, I mean maybe 100 kilometers wide that moves through the atmosphere, comes off the oceans, which is the source of the moisture, and impacts uh, coastal coastal lands. Now, uh, they occur all over the world, but uh, we get a lot of them in the North Pacific region. Um, and these, these bands of moisture can actually uh, track anywhere from California right up the coast to Alaska. And we just got clobbered by one. We've had actually five, I think, this year. This one, though, by, was by far the worst, and it's the one responsible for all the damage that you're hearing about. So we have a name for it. It's obviously not new, as you say, but being the worst ever, what made it so? Do we know why this phenomenon really came in? It just steamrolled in and, and took over what's happening in the province right now. Yeah, it's by far the worst one we've ever experienced. Um, there were record rainfall uh, amounts 
sat at uh, many stations from Vancouver into the interior, the southern interior, places like Merritt and Princeton. And um, the atmosphere is warm, so it can hold a lot of moisture. Um, and in a typical uh, storm that we get in the fall, uh, we don't get the either the length of rainfall or the uh, intensity of rainfall. The thing that struck me in Vancouver on Sunday was how intense this was. I know on the prairies you can get thunderstorms that drop a lot of rain in a very short period of time. We we kind of experienced something like that here, but we're not used to it. You know, we, uh, we're called the wet coast, but in fact... Um, we don't experience those, that heavy rainfall, and our landscape is not able to handle it. You know, all that water that falls um, basically is channeled into, into streams and rivers. It's not unlike what happened in Alberta back, I think, in 2003 with the southwest Alberta floods. You know, in, in 2013, we had the massive flooding. Yes, it, for sure. And it, it is, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are people having some flashbacks to that time. But boy, we didn't see highways basically washed away like we've seen in B.C. So do you think, and I've heard this question be asked, did this summer's, this past summer's wildfires make the situation even worse when this atmospheric river rolled in? It may have locally. You know, we've just been through uh, a horrible uh, summer wildfire season. It's the second worst after 2017. And a very large amount of forest land was burned. And uh, this actually creates a condition in which the soils um, are impenetrable to uh, rainfall. Or not impenetrable, but rainfall does not soak into the Mm -hmm. ground as easily. It creates a layer that we call a hydrophobic layer. Imagine putting a sheet of plastic just below uh, the surface on the landscape and um, the rain that comes down rather than soaking into the soil runs off very rapidly and it it creates a kind of a flash flood type of situation. So the streams uh, are not as able to handle that runoff as they would otherwise be. That's part of the problem. I mean, that certainly played a role in a place like Merritt, which was heavily impacted by the wildfires this summer. But it can't explain everything. You know, there are many areas that were flooded where we got washouts, where uh, that was not a factor, where the the forest had not burned last summer. Um, But what we think is happening is, uh, you know, that the air, uh, Pacific air masses are getting warmer. And as as the atmosphere warms, it's able to hold more moisture. So it's like we're uh, amping up, you know, these atmospheric rivers. We're providing uh, the rivers with more moisture that comes down harder and longer, and that uh, exacerbates the flooding situation. So, you know, with continued climate change, we we are worried that we might experience more of these in the future. Not every year, but they're just become more frequent. And, you know, I was going to ask you that. Obviously, we can contribute to this in some degree to climate change. I mean, we know extreme weather events are are fairly cyclical, but these just keep getting worse and far more extreme, don't they? Yeah, that's it's, you know, scientists, myself included, 
have been reluctant to attribute one uh, extreme climate event to climate change. But uh, increasingly, we feel that kind of that train has left the station, that this is undeniable, that climate change has its footprint all over these events, partly because they're so extreme. You know, when you look at uh, the heat wave last summer, I mean, the temperatures were out of any sort of ordinary range of uh, temperatures that we get in British Columbia. And likewise, these rainfall amounts were just crazy large, uh, beyond what we would expect um, in a normal climate. So we're pretty sure that uh, climate change is playing a role. It's not the only factor involved, but it's playing a role. Do you think we can predict then with some certainty that these events are, are going to be fairly consistent and get worse over time? Well, it's kind of a probability game. In other words, you kind of uh, know that they're going to become more frequent, and and climate scientists are beginning to put numbers on that probability. But we can't predict exactly when when one occurs. The the climate system, the weather system, is too complex for these short-term predictions. But in general, you know, we can... We should be planning to have, to see more frequent events of this sort. So we've got to take lessons away from this and try and harden, protect critical infrastructure like our roads and highways. Well, we thank you for taking the time this morning and our thoughts are with you and all of your fellow British Columbians. And hopefully uh, we get connected once again very soon. Okay, thank you. We're keeping our heads down. Thank you so much, Dr. John Clegg, Emeritus Professor of Earth Sciences at Simon Fraser University. And every Friday, for the latest news updates from south of the border, we turn to Global News, Washington Bureau Chief Jackson Prosco. Good morning, Jackson. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you. All right, let's talk about the Three Amigos, the summit between the leaders of Canada, Mexico, and the U.S. in the books. What came out of the meeting from the U.S. perspective, from Biden's perspective, the president? You know, I think it was really all about sort of re-establishing the relationship between Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. Things really fell to the wayside during the Trump years, and there was sort of a sense that they needed to get all three leaders in the room again and and sort of talk about the burning issues that impact all three countries. Uh, things like common ground on climate change, on issues around migration, and on ending the pandemic. And, of course, you recall that the U.S. in the early days actually loaned vaccines to both Canada and Mexico. They They've called in the favor at this point, which means that Canada and Mexico will repay that loan in the form of donations to other countries. And really, it sounds like, you know, the talks were good, though Prime Minister Justin Trudeau did not come away with any kind of big wins, as we're hearing from Ottawa, in terms of, you know, that President Biden is is still really big on that, you know, by American perspective. And I, I guess as you should be in your own country, right? Yeah, I mean, I think there was sort of an assumption that after the Trump years that things would immediately get better in the relationship, especially between Canada and the U.S., and the sort of protectionist language would disappear. And that has not been the case to the disappointment, I think, of the Canadian government. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, they're dealing with these Buy American policies that have continued as part of uh, Biden's $1.5 trillion infrastructure plan. Uh, one particular issue in there, this is probably issue number one for the Canadians, there's a tax credit proposal where if Americans buy an electric vehicle... 
They get a tax credit. But the catch is that electric vehicle has to be made in the United States. And, of course, Canada and Mexico are saying, whoa, 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 we've got big auto manufacturing sectors. The whole North American auto manufacturing industry is highly integrated. You can't do that without harming us. And so they're looking for some movement on that front. They haven't found it yet, and they certainly got no commitments from Biden on that front yesterday. But we should point out that the uh, the infrastructure deal is still not a done deal. The House is passing it today. It still has to go to the Senate, and that provision could per- potentially be dropped to the benefit of Canada. You mentioned how you know a lot of people thought with, with Trump out and Biden in, it would change things dramatically, which it hasn't. And, and it's certainly not helping uh, the president's approval ratings, right? How bad is it for Biden and the Democrats right now? Yeah, not good. I mean, Biden's approval rating uh, is in the 40% range. Some polls have him as low as 36%. That is about on par with uh, what Trump averaged over the course of his presidency, which is to say unpopular. Mm. Uh, the Democrats are in real trouble heading into the midterms in 2022. And there's a sense that, uh, you know, there are, they stand very good chance of losing their majorities both in the House and the Senate, uh, which could dispel a difficult uh, remaining two years for Biden's first term in office. Let's talk a little bit about COVID, latest COVID count in the U.S. How are things faring on that front? Not great, to put it mildly. Uh, Cases are up about 30% over the course of the past week, so we're back over 100,000 cases every single day. The good news, the breaking news this morning, is that the FDA here in the U.S. has authorized booster shots for both Pfizer and Moderna for anybody over the age of 18, which is great news. It really sort of plays to the idea that uh, the the immunity conferred by the vaccine starts to wane at about the six-month point, and so heading into the holidays, the busy American Thanksgiving holiday season, they're saying, get those boosters now and then you don't have to worry as much about the potential for breakthrough infections but then still does nothing to convince those people who are adamant about not getting the vaccine that they should get it anyway exactly and there are a whole lot of people in this country who still have not and refuse to get vaccinated so that is probably the bigger challenge at this point let's switch gears a little bit kyle rittenhouse trial continues so is there any word on when we might expect the jury to deliver a decision we're a few days in now yeah 23 hours of deliberations and counting they're to resume here uh, in about 45 minutes for the day today. Uh, this sort of seems to be hurtling towards the possibility of a mis- mistrial, which is to say, you know, a hung jury, no clean verdict in either direction. And of course, the judge is still considering uh, several defense motions for a mistrial as well, based on uh, allegations of prosecutorial misconduct. And he has said he reserves the right to deliver that decision at any point, including after a verdict. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know that whatever we get will be the definitive answer uh, in terms of a verdict or not a verdict and it seems all but certain that this is headed for an appeal one way or another Mm -hmm. unless the judge declares a mistrial with prejudice in which case double jeopardy is attached and Rittenhouse cannot be retried. Wow it's fascinating I mean it really you know revolves so many issues right I mean the the right to bear arms etc but there are so many things so many facets to this trial. Yeah, and it is so polarizing. People either view Rittenhouse as a, you know, armed vigilante who had no business being there, that he was out looking for trouble, or they view him as somebody who was off, uh, exercising his lawful right to open carry in the state of Wisconsin and protect a business from rioters and looters. Those are sort of the two different viewpoints of this trial. Interesting. Another one that's going on, I still believe we don't have a decision yet, do we, in the Ahmed Aubrey trial? We don't. They're headed for closing arguments, uh, uh, likely okay. to start on Monday, which means this will be in the hands of the jury early next week. But that's one we're watching closely for sure. Uh, let's talk about uh, President Biden uh, asking the FTC to investigate if oil companies are illegally driving up prices. That's an interesting one and certainly uh, raises some eyebrows here in Alberta as well. 
Yeah, you know, this is sort of a perpetual issue of concern here, but especially recently because oil oil and gas prices have gone through the roof. They're back to where they were in the boom days of 2014 here in the U.S. And so Biden faces a lot of domestic pressure to do something about overall inflation, but specifically gas prices, right? That's the thing everybody sees every single day on signs everywhere where they are. And so uh, Biden can certainly investigate this. Not clear if he will actually take that step. Uh, he's also facing pressure to tap into the Strategic Petroleum Reserve here in the United States which is hundreds of millions of barrels of oil just sitting in reserve. Mm. The theory is that if you release those, prices come down in the short term, but it's certainly not a long-term fix. And the bottom line, Sue, is that it's a sign that the economy is booming. Everybody's getting back out there after the pandemic, and that surge in consumer demand for everything from travel to consumer goods is driving up prices Mm -hmm. on everything. Very much so. Uh, One last thing I wanted to touch on. I'm sure you saw this stat. I certainly did. It really struck me. But over 100,000 Americans now apparently dying of drug overdoses surpassing the toll of gun violence and car accidents combined. Mm -hmm. That is just shocking, isn't it? It is, and it is really fueled by the opioid epidemic. Uh, this is, of course, something that has been the, the subject of uh, a lot of scrutiny, uh, massive lawsuits and settlements, and it really shows you just what a devastating impact this has been, especially during the pandemic at a time when many, many people have been struggling with addiction and, and issues around mental health. Uh, that, coupled with the ongoing uh, opioid epidemic, has really just just been an awful situation. Yeah, it's terrible. Uh, you, any big plans for the weekend? What are you doing? Anything exciting? Oh, nice and relaxing. You know what? It is still a beautiful fall down here. Of course, uh, way later in the year than it is in Calgary. The leaves are just starting to change down here. Oh, I don't wow. want to rub that in, but it was wow. 22 degrees Celsius here yesterday. So you got to enjoy it while it lasts. Yes, right? you do, because we've had uh, quite a bit of snow in the mountains already, and we know it's coming our way. But have a great weekend, Jackson. Thanks always for you joining well. us. Appreciate Take it. Care. Jackson Prosco, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. It's Friday, and that means the weekend is here, and some watching time is here as well, whether it be on the big screen or the little screen. Let's find out what we've got to see out there as we check in with Brett McGarry of the Couch Potatoes. Hi, Brett. Hello there. Happy Friday to you. Indeed. Couple, Friday. Uh, I know, it's kind of, Friday's just always good on its own, but then you always regale us with the fabulousness that's available out there, and I know we've got one to watch at home and one to watch on the big screen. I had the pleasure of seeing this movie this week. So who are you going to call? Ghostbusters Afterlife. There hasn't been a ghost sighting in 30 years. Oh, my God. What is happening here? The grandfather was a Ghostbuster. Something was coming and he knew it. I think we've opened the gates of hell. Hey, have you missed us? So, how was it? It's actually a great Ghostbusters romp. Like, if you're a Ghostbusters fan, you're going to love it. You just Yeah, are. that's what I'm hearing, that it's essentially a, a heartwarming, feel-good kind of rehash mm-hmm. of the original film. Um, I should, worth pointing out, 63% on Rotten Tomatoes. So then the summary there is that it, it's, it's, it feels good, but it's, it's nothing new. Um, is that a sentiment you would agree with? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's Ghostbusters. It's exactly what you expect, and you're going to get what you want. I mean, you get all the characters coming back, and you see all the beloved characters that you, you, know, you loved in the first one, and there they are for you, doing their thing. There's a little bit of hokiness to it. There's one part that I thought was, uh, really. I think he probably could have done that a bit better. But other than that, it's very Ghostbusters. I enjoyed it. Okay, well, I I, I think I need to go see this because I 
loved the Ghostbusters when I was a kid. And I remember my dad uh, was going to take my sister and I to a movie. She wanted to go see Supergirl. I wanted to go see <laughs> Ghostbusters. Uh, we basically picked, uh, flipped a coin. We went to see Supergirl. Obviously, uh, we picked the wrong movie because that's one of the worst <laughs> movies ever made. And Ghostbusters is one of the all-time greatest. Yeah, still going strong. I, you said, though, you, you're not a huge fan of the, the second one. I didn't even see it, so that's how much I cared about it. Yeah, Ghostbusters 2 was okay. It just, it was, I don't know. It, 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 there's no way to capture lightning in a bottle again. It's true, yeah. And uh, I didn't care for the reboot, and not because it was an all-female cast. I wasn't one of those people who was like, eh, women! But uh, <laughs> I just didn't, I thought the movie was kind of, it was just weak. So, yeah. I think you'll like this one. We'll have to get your review once you see it, because I, I think anybody who really w enjoyed Ghostbusters back in the day, it's a good romp for you, for sure. Cool. Looking forward to it. Let's talk about one on the small screen, if we want to stay home this weekend. That's right. Amazon Prime Video is debuting its television adaptation of one of the biggest fantasy novel series of all time, The Wheel of Time. If we do not stop the Dark One now... The whole world will burn. I can't allow it. The wheel weaves as the wheel wills. I got to admit, Ooh. I don't know anything about Nor what's do going I. on in this story. <laughs> <laughs> I do know, though, that there are 14 books in this series published between 1984 and 2013 selling over 90 million copies wow. so the people who do like the wheel of time love the wheel of time so uh, uh, hopefully the show can live up to what surely have to be gigantic expectations no doubt okay well that's a couple of good options for people as we're getting out and about and having a little fun maybe this weekend so uh love it what are you into right now what's your favorite thing that you're watching right now these days I've kind of been hung up on this Rocky Four thing we talked about last yeah, week. Yeah, <laughs> The, uh, the, the ultimate director's, director's cut. cut. Yeah, I, re I watched it on last Saturday, and then I, I rewatched it, and then I've been <laughs> watching videos of it on YouTube. Um, I'm just, I'm, I was such a big fan of the film when I was a kid, and pretty much through my whole life. So I'm trying to wrap my brain around this. This re-edited film. It's a completely different movie. Is it really? Yeah, because they took out, to make room for all the new footage, they took out a bunch of stuff. It's a completely different version of the same story. So I've been kind of like bouncing back and forth with that. But you know what I've really been enjoying uh, on Global is CSI Vegas. Oh, really? Because they brought yeah. all the characters back, didn't they? They brought back a couple of the key ones, yeah. I don't know how long they're sticking around, but um, so far it's been pretty good. I thought it was going to be bad, but I'm really enjoying it. All right, there's a bunch of great options for us. Thanks, Brett. Have a great weekend. You too. Brett McGarry of the Couch Potatoes. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.